ay, ay, ay. Hola, amor. Hola, cariño. Y bienvenidos a Uy, qué horror, a Latinx horror movie podcast with Johnny and Eileen. I'm Johnny. And I'm Eileen. Hello. Hello over there. <laughs> I feel like I miss you. <laughs> Because <laughs> I've been so busy these days. Yeah, you're a busy bee. Even though we're still seeing the same amount of each other. Yeah. Literally saw you at this point last week. You know, it's the yeah. same. I We text. We were in touch. I've just been uh, doing another show, doing two shows, rehearsing at the same time right now, which is my own damn fault. Very, very grateful for all of it. But I'm just like, what the fuck? How about you plug your shows for our D.C. listeners? Hey, D.C., Maryland and Virginia, come see Mr. Popper's Penguins at Imagination Stage. I am playing the Mr. Popper. And yes, I totally see the irony in a gay man playing a character named Mr. Popper. First name, Richard. Richard Popper. Dick, Dick Popper. Popper. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. If anybody at Imagination Stage is listening to this, please do not get me fired. Mm, uh, Dick Popper. <laughs> and I am also playing a character named Eduardo in a play mm. called Sheboygan, which is part of the D.C. Capital Fringe Fest. I think we open in July at some point, so come check it out. Just check out the Capital Fringe Fest website. Go see Johnny with a mustache in the classic role that Jim Carrey did in the film called Mr. Popper's Penguins. So, well, today we're not talking about Jim Carrey. We are no. talking about... <laughs> just as confusing <laughs> as Jim Carrey's face every now and then. <laughs> totally, totally. So this... This was a weird pick on my part. Yeah. I just need something like short and sweet to do this week. So I picked, I mean, look, it was short. It definitely ain't sweet, though. Ooh, uh, girl. This was a weird one. This is a weird one. So let's talk yeah. about just like taking other people's shit, pretending like those people don't exist and making it your own. You love a plagiarism film. <laughs> yeah, we've done this before with which movie was it? Uh, I'm thinking of Exorcismo Documentado. Totally. Yeah. I'm kind of like two for two now. Wow. Great. So the movie we're going to talk about today is Curse of the Stone Hand, which the filmmakers who appropriated this movie, should I just say that? Like, that's not the right word. They took the rights to the films and then did whatever they wanted to do with these rights of films. Yes. So this movie is from 1965. And basically what this dude Jerry Warren did is he took two movies from Chile, 1945's La Casa Está Vacía and 1946's La Dama de la Muerte. He edited the fuck out of them. Bro. Spliced them together. Slice and splice. Like butchered those movies, put them together, added a couple scenes at the top. And in the middle. And it is a fucking mess. <laughs> Which you would expect it to be when you pull something like this. Some yeah. bullshit like this. Okay, so this yeah. is the movie we were talking about today. Curse of the Stone Hand, which... They're like, USA 1965. And I'm like, you're a liar. This is Chile. You're a liar, lies. You never <laughs> lied so much. <laughs> this is Chile 1945 and 1946. So it was written by Jorge Janice, who is uncredited, by the way, Marie Laurent, 
F. Amos Powell. It was directed by Carlos Hugo Christensen, Jerry Warren, and Carlos Schlieper, pero el Carlos Schlieper is uncredited. And by the way, in the credits, they don't say Carlos Hugo Christensen. They just say... Charles? No, they say uh-huh. just Hugo Christensen. Oh. So it's like, no, 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 no. It's just Hugo, not Carlos, not Carlos. So, yeah. Before we get to your synopsis, let me give you the titulos de Our terror. Titulos de terror. <laughs> in Spanish and Portuguese. So, titulos de terror. Terror. So this is a bit of a stretch, but I think you'll get it once we actually start talking about this movie. Mm. So the movie I picked is 1959's House on Haunted Hill. This makes sense. Okay. All right. I think so, too, which is, you yeah. know, Vincent Price. So... In Spanish, this movie is called La Mansión de los Horrores, which I love. Ooh, that's a good one. (laughs) I think so, too. And in Portuguese, it is called A Casa Mau Asombrada. Ooh, so like a haunted house. Yeah. Cute. Okay, I love it. So those were my picks for this week. Why don't you give us a synopsis? Absolutely. This comes from IMDb. Thank you again, IMDb, for being a place for summaries. A compilation of two Chilean titles, the first adapted from Robert Louis Stevenson's The Suicide Club, the second, the tale of younger siblings dominated by their evil elder brother. Great. Ready to be confused, everybody? Oh, guys, just hold on to your butts because this is going to be a whirlwind. Yes, it absolutely will. And from Eileen's synopsis, I think you can deduce that this is presented as kind of like, you know, like, what would you call like an anthology film? Like Like a very mini anthology. Yeah, like a creep show (laughs) or like a VHS. But back in the day. Okay, let's go, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) So our movie begins with our title card, Curse of the Stone Hand. And it is over a picture of a house on a haunted hill, if you will. It's Ah, a spooky haunted house. (laughs) So we get our credits. And just so you know, in the credits, there's an actress in this movie. I believe she is Argentina. No, no, no. She's Chilena. Her her name is Chela Bon. They -hmm. call her Sheila Bon. Y también... (laughs) Actor Carlos Cores, who I believe is from Argentina. Charles Cores. Okay. We see a man sitting outside this old, spooky, decrepit house, and he's working on a painting of this house. He's not like Mm. up painting the house. He's like, you know, a painter painting a painting of the house. So much painting. De repente, an old man appears behind the painter with a foreboding crash of thunder, and the old man says, you'd see much to paint on the inside. So they go inside as a storm rolls in. So this old man is our narrator throughout this film. Slash spoiler alert, at the end of the movie, we discovered that this is good old Uncle Huey, but we will get there. <laughs> Did you catch wow, that part? Wow, Really? Absolutely not. We- I, what, spoiler alert. <laughs> I did not understand this film. Oh, fucking all. And when I tell you most of my notes are questions, it's 
I think I have answers for you. I hope so, dude. Porque yo no le entendí ni turca. Well, this is the kind of thing, if you had picked this movie, I would have watched and been like, Eileen will figure it out. She's going to figure it out. She'll fucking figure it out. That's absolutely what I was relying on. Fair. Absolutely. I mean, it was my pick. So, you know, I, I brought this upon myself. I think we can figure it out together. I really, yes, really yes, do. Yes. Absolutely. Claro. Claro que sí. So the old man narrator slash Uncle Huey says, this house used to be fabulous back in the day. And I know this because I used to live here. And then he begins to dust a creepy looking stone hand, which I was like, Lady Gaga, pause up, put your pause up. Very Lady Gaga. Sabes lo que para mí me recordó Zedu Caixão. Remember in Zedu Caixão when he he had like a wall of hands and he like gives his hat and the hand like grabs it? Yes, yes, yes. Right? Something I would totally have. I mean, that also reminds me of uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Willy Factory. Wonka, yeah. <laughs> I would totally have like a hand as a like a coat rack or a hat sure. a hanger thing hook in my house. I love that fucking shit. It's like large. You know, it's not actually human sized. It's big. It looks like it's popping out of the ground, if you will. Not for nothing. Look at our logo. It's literally Absolutely. it's the Uichorar logo. But instead of a skeleton hand, it's a hand hand. Yes. Put your paws up. Okay, so <laughs> the narrator says, as he's dusting this creepy hand, he says, this hand of stone has had a devastating effect on the estate and all its occupants. The builder placed these hands in every single room of the house as well as outside. And then we get a shot of one of these hands in some grass, a hand in some stones by the sea, a hand near a cave looking area with a bunch of stone arches, like rows of arches. Hella hands everywhere. Hands everywhere. The narrator continues, I was certain that the hands were placed to bring a violent curse to each and every owner of the house. The first of these was Robert Braun, who purchased this house on his wedding day. Great. We cut to Robert <laughs> Braun <laughs> and his wife. They're celebrating their wedding day. They dance. They're in love. They kiss weirdly. It's that kiss where, like, it's like sucker fish. They just, like, face smash. Placing mouths uh, atop mouths. Don't move your head. Don't move no. your face. Squeeze. It's squeezing yes. as much into each other's face as possible. It looks borderline painful. So the narrator continues, the curse manifested itself quite quickly for Braun in the form of a letter which informed Robert Braun that he had lost all his money. Complete financial insolvency is the word that they said. Yes. I was like, well, damn. Yeah, there's a lot of like, Old, I mean, I guess I wouldn't call that old school, but complete financial insolvency. I was like, so <laughs> yeah. you lost your money. You don't have any money. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Got it. The language is very like, and thus thou hast. <laughs> totally. Yes. So we see Braun reading this letter that tells him unless he pays a large sum of money to the Bank of Kent, he and his <laughs> new bride will be evicted from their new home or at least I think that is what it says because you literally get a shot of this letter. Pero this is for old. fifteen minutes. Oh, it for seems fifteen like. minutes. But even that, I was like, 
I was reading and I was like, is that what that says? Because it's in English. It said evicted. I saw that for sure. Yeah. And this here, I believe, is an inserted scene. Like Jerry Warren put this in here. Just that shot of the letter. Let's talk about this editing now. Porque este hombre, Jerry Warren, Mm -hmm. anytime somebody is ready to speak... He will cut to the other person that's like listening to them speak so that we don't see their mouths moving mm-hmm. so that yeah. we can like. And when you when you do see people speaking, they're wider shots so you can't really see the mouth. And it's literally the it's snip, snap, snip, snap. Yeah, it's back and forth or it's the narrator speaking over a scene going on. Yes. So like you can absolutely tell when Jerry Warren fucking was like, okay. And in here, we're just going to drop a still of something with information. That's going to supposedly Mm -hmm. continue the story. I mean, were there no narrator, you would be lost in the wilderness. Completamente. Completamente. Yes. So Braun has received this letter. He's like, fuck, this sucks. So he turns to his wife and he's like, hey, I gotta go pick up Clifford, which I was like, who the fuck is that? We'll find out soon. <laughs> who so is he's Clifford, like, bro? Who, who's Clifford? Your dog? Anyway, so <laughs> your large dog. Big red dog. <laughs> and so he's like, gotta go pick up Clifford and I gotta go to the city. I'll be back soon. Pero la esposa, she's like, I know that this has to do with money, financial matters. So she gives him some of her money. Again, they kiss weirdly and (laughs) off he goes. I just want to say she's stunning. I I just love to see these like old school ladies that I'm like, damn, like that, the hair, the brows, the look, the drama in your face. Oh, love. Love it so much. I was going to say, los dos son bello. Like gorgeous. He is so handsome. So handsome. We get a lot of like still close up shots of like very dramatic lit and everything. And he is beautiful. Yes. Yes. And you're just like, okay, if make this movie so that I can watch this man just like staring out into the sunset. That's fine by me. And I'm going to say this, you know, like, okay, we're going to shit all over this movie. I'm not shitting all over the actual original Chilean film because I can tell there's a good movie in there. They're giving us solid performances. Like, I would watch this movie totally. And maybe someday we actually will watch this movie for the pod and like talk. It's not very scary, you know. We'll get to it in trivia of like what... These original oh. films are, I don't think they fulfill our criteria for Interesting. This. Ooh, I can't yeah, wait yeah, to yeah. hear what you've discovered. <laughs> okay, very, very cool. Great. But I'm what I'm saying is here, like, the original movie, highly doubt that it's a piece of shit. I think it's actually Absolutely. a good film, you know? Totally. Okay, so we cut to the Rowdy Durham Saloon, which is what I call it. It's a bar where everybody is gallivanting. <laughs> and Braun meets up with Clifford that I, I wrote... This is Sigmund Freud. This looks like Sigmund Freud. I wrote, this is John Turturro. (laughs) Oh, damn. Right? Yes, totally looks like John Turturro. Throughout my notes, I literally call this man Sigmund Clifford Freud slash John Turturro. We'll call him Sigmund Clifford Turturro. (laughs) I will do my best to remember that. All right. So... They sit to have a drink and Braun tells Sigmund Clifford Turturro to take him to 
the secret club where mm. he gambles so that he can make some money back. And Sigmund Clifford Taturo seems wary of this, but he agrees <laughs> to take him. I'm going to commit to this bit. I'm committing to Sigmund I'm Clifford Taturo. I'm okay? I'm supporting you totally. Great. <laughs> so <laughs> Sigmund Clifford Taturo is like, cool. I, I don't know about this, but I'll take you to my my secret gambling club. Cool. A secret club. We cut to the foggy night streets of London, I think, where they are allowed into a music shop by a guy who does like that whole like peephole thing. Like he pulls uh-huh. back the people so you just see his eyes and he, it's basically like, what's the password? You know, yeah, like that yeah. kind of thing. Like um, a Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Exactly. <laughs> the gorilla exactly. behind the yes. door. This very quick snippet here of the guy peeking through was kind of creepy, I will say, because the dude mm. was like very like, you are not part of this situation, whatever. It was, yeah. was kind of Your partner is yes. not in the club. Yeah, he doesn't know the rules. He doesn't uh-huh. know the, it's like, well, what's going on here? Kind of creepy. Mm. Anyway, so this creepy guy, people lets them into the music shop, but we discover, ah, it is not a music shop. It is a secret gambling society. Once inside, we discover a bunch of old farts playing roulette. This is roulette, correct? Correct. I'm terrible at these. I've always been very curious about roulette because mm-hmm. I feel like, oh, you throw a ball and you wait for it to land in a thing. And if it's the number that you have and the color, then you win money. It seems easy. But all tough. I don't though, know. Because like the odds of the like, you. I don't know, y'all. Girl. Poker, these kinds of games. I'm just like, it does not compute. Vegas, how does it work? No sé nada. So it seems to me that Braun puts his wife's money in the game and yeah. loses it immediately. And Sigmund Clifford Taturo is watching this very intensely from the corner. So then Braun writes a literal IOU. <laughs> 32,000 pounds. He's like, I owe you 32,000 pounds. What what kind of establishment would be like, cool, yeah, that's fine. We'll take that. Literally written on a scrap of paper. Okay, entonces una pregunta. Mm -hmm. ¿Él le da este IOU to the club? Yes, I believe so. So he's put the money in and he's like, the wife's money, lost it. Cool, there's no... Owing anything, I lost my money. But he's like, I got to keep going because I, I still want to make money. So he writes an IOU. And that is the downfall here, I believe. Because he's like, okay, he doesn't have that fucking money. Got and it. again, he gambles this IOU, which I guess is a thing you can do. Oh, so the, oh, got it, got it, got it, got it. So he chooses $32,000 as a thing to deposit to gamble? To the secret gambling club yes i wow. believe that's what happened and again he loses everything fast. and um, he doesn't have this fucking money oh yeah right he doesn't have this money and so he loses this and <laughs> everybody just stares at him and we get like Oy. dramatic music dramatic sting and braun is just like distraught and he walks away in shame he then sits down for a meeting with uncle fester this is uncle <laughs> Fester. Yes, totally Uncle Fester. So Uncle Fester, bald bitch, bald ass bitch, seems to be running this secret gambling establishment. And Uncle Fester reads a long, long 
long passage from a book explaining the rules of the gambling club. And when I tell you the moment he started, like, these are the I I was like glaze over. These are the rules. Nope, I was gone. Yo dije, estamos aquí and we're watching a man read. Not even looking at the man. We have no. a sh- it's a shot on the book. It's a shot on the book explaining the rules. And he like flips the pages. Dude, I couldn't believe this. I was like the choice to just look at a book on screen is a choice. That's uh, a choice everybody. Choices. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God, I have to write all this fucking shit down. (laughs) I didn't. I got the basics of what's going on here because, listen, I have sat down at a table with people being like, let me explain poker to you. And I my brain is like, I don't want to do this right now. (laughs) There is no more room for information here. (laughs) I cannot do it. No. So the moment this man was like, here are the rules for this, I was like, no. <laughs> Fuck. Anyway, so this is what he says. So here are the rules for or this. Game. something like this shit. <laughs> here are the rules that we kind of understood from this film. So he says, this gambling club is for people who are having money problems, blah, 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 blah. I'm very confused, but I think he says... If you gamble in this club and you lose your sum of money, you have to participate in a drawing of cards so that the club may collect what is owed to it. It is required that any time a new member joins the club, two existing members must be executed. And I was like, executed? Like, like for real? Okay, let's keep going. <laughs> I also was like, who would want to join a club like yeah, that? Yeah, like I would stop and be like, by ex- execution, you mean like <laughs> you just kicked mean? out? Like, what are we talking about here? <laughs> and so he continues, the execution provides the balance upon which the club stands. The two men who draw the Queen of Hearts will be executed by the two men who they call executioners who draw aces so Mm. two men draw the queen of hearts two men draw the aces the executions must be carried out within three days by any means necessary the individuals called for execution may be reprieved only by payment in full to the club okay okay so the only way for the person who got the queen of heart who is about to be executed yeah. to not be executed mm-hmm. is to pay the money he owes, basically. Yep. Okay. Yes. So Uncle Fester's all, you got it? Cool. Be here tomorrow night at 9 p.m. with the amount you owe us. And if you don't have the amount you owe us, be prepared to gamble, bitch. Cool. <laughs> So Braun leaves the club and out on the dark streets, he notices that he's being followed by other members of the club. So he he escapes to a nearby hotel where he spends the night. Later on, Braun and Sigmund Clifford Turturro return to the club (laughs) where they're taken into a room where all of these old farts are sitting around listening to someone play the piano. They're having drinks. They're smoking cigars. They're being men. ¿Sabes qué? clubs from back in the day where they're like no women please and it's just people sitting around and reading the newspaper drinking a bourbon boring 
I don't want to be part of that club. Absolutely I guess like the not. nice thing is that there's a waiter that comes by and gives you, I don't know, like what's the, what, what are the perks? Oh, you're sitting in a living room, but you have to sit with other people. I'll just go to a fucking coffee shop, bro. Absolutely. Plus a room filled with all these straight, white, old farts. Old men? No. No. Absolutely boy. not. And then all of these old farts are led into a room where they sit at a table with Uncle Fester and the card game, quote unquote, begins. This is the drawing of the cards. This table scene is endless. Well, not only that, but I was like, this looks like, you know, remember in Mary Poppins, Cuando Van al Banco? And it's just all the old men from the bank sitting at the table. And then Dick Van Dyke as the old dude being like, and just dumped into Mary Poppins. Also, all (laughs) these old men are creepy as fuck. Yeah, they, this creeped me out. There's a particularly creepy one who's got like with curly, glasses. Yes, the crazy curly hair. He's got glasses. He's like missing a tooth, and he seems super nervous. Ooh, yeah, creeps. So Uncle Fester begins to you know hand out these cards, and everyone has their specific and very weird way of turning over their cards. There's like this one angry guy. Who like the guy sitting next to him doesn't turn the card over fast enough, so the angry guy like grabs it and slams it down. And I'm just like, sir, fuck off and mind your own business, please. But there's also a dude like reading that doesn't even look up. My okay. favorite. <laughs> Una, pre- <laughs> Una pregunta. So all these men mm-hmm. owe money to the club, yes? I believe so. Otherwise, they wouldn't be playing this game. Yeah. A lot of these guys have clearly like made it quite some time without getting the queen of hearts right because you know i mean who knows when they join this club but yes i think you're correct that everybody here like uncle fester explained is in like financial trouble so everybody's got their weird ass way of turning over the cards first round no one gets a queen of hearts second round that creepy old guy with the missing tooth gets one and he's served a drink which he doesn't drink right and then shocker Braun gets the other queen of hearts. And I liked how it's revealed here, like the way it's shot. On the table. Yes. He turns over the, he doesn't fully turn it over. You just see the reflection of the card in the, on the table. Very cool shot. I like that too. And so Braun is also served a drink, which he downs. And I thought here, oh, it's poison. This is how. That's what I thought too. You're going to die. But that's not it at all. I don't know what the drink symbolizes. That's, Me neither. He just has a nice glass of champagne. <laughs> However, important to note here, we do not see the two men that get the aces. So the meeting is adjourned, and as the men go back to the other room to drink and smoke their cigars and be men, we hear bang! A gunshot. Someone has killed. Old, creepy guy, no tooth. The next day, Braun decides to go for a soothing walk with his wife in the park to clear his mind. The narrator is narrating this whole thing. And this is what you were talking about. You can tell there is an entire scene here where these actors like they did their work. They learned their lines. They rehearsed. They had the whole scene plot like done. We're ready to shoot. But Jerry Warren was like, you know what? No, I'm going to completely cut all the dialogue. I'm going to have a narrator narrate this. Cool. That'll save us a lot of time. So they're at the park. The narrator is narrating. And he says, Braun has been thinking about contacting the police. Okay. To end this nightmare. Mm. So while Braun and his wife are enjoying this beautiful sunny day, 
a gypsy woman comes up and I was like, <laughs> Crystal Waters. It's the only thing I could think of. So this gypsy woman comes up to them and uh, she's like, let me read your fortunes. She doesn't say that. You see her like mouthing it, but it's just the narrator being like, a gypsy woman came up and said, let me read your fortune. So Braun is like, cool. I agree to the reading, even though this kind of weirds me out. And so for the wife, the gypsy woman predicts a life of joy, except for a time of intense grief. Mm. For Braun, she pulls a card that he sees. We get a loud horn toot of a musical sting. But we don't see the card. What the fuck just Uh, happened? No clue. Was it the death card? Who knows? I don't. Neither do I. (laughs) And then the narrator says, Braun knew what he had to do. Okay, sure. Great. At least someone knows. At least somebody knows (laughs) because I I have no idea. So then we cut to Braun arriving at the music store with the police. So it seems he's like, I just got to talk to the police. Then I'll solve this shit. So he goes into the music store with the police. However, once inside, there is no evidence of a secret gambling club. There's only people working, checking out musical instruments to buy. Lovely. And then Braun goes into Uncle Fester's office, and there is Uncle Fester reading a newspaper. And Uncle Fester is like, what is your name? And Braun goes, I'm Robert Braun. And then he leaves. What the fuck? Is ha- so what I, is this? I was like, what is going on here? Why doesn't the ball guy know him now? And then there's a, a shot of the ball dude with his hands on top of a globe. Yeah. That we, and I just want to reiterate that up until now, again, anytime anybody speaks, we don't see them. It's the mm-hmm. person they are speaking to. Yes. And it is like, they're not even trying to cut in places that would be seamless oh. or or trying to put things together. This didn't need to be in here. Like, if you're going to slice and dice this movie, there's no need for him to go into the office to see Uncle Fester and be like, I'm Robert Braun. Because clearly Uncle Fester is pretending not to know him here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was like, this doesn't serve a purpose. It's enough to go into the music store and be like, uh, it's just a music store. The police are fooled. You know? Yeah. Enough. We yeah. got it. Whatever. He says, I'm Robert Braun, and he leaves, and it is very confusing. (laughs) So Braun then goes to a bar to drink his sorrows away, and as he is leaving this bar, he's grabbed by a woman who has a skull face. Death face, yeah. I liked this, because her hand kind of comes out of nowhere. And when I Uh tell you I had, like, the miniest jump that I've ever experienced in my life, when I was like, oh, her face, you know? Yeah. It's totally from like 1940, whatever. The woman is obviously just like a woman. And then they have another shot overlaying. Like superimposed, yeah. Yes, on top of her where you see like like a skull face. It almost looks like a calavera from yeah. like a Mexican like Day, Day of, of the, the Dead, Dead kind of thing. So, totally. That's the vibes it gave me. Yeah, it was good. And then he, Braun runs in fear and then he sees like a weird devil figure is that what it was i wrote octopus slash crab yeah like like lots of arms you don't quite see it i was just like what the fuck is that it looks like 
Okay. A spider costume. <laughs> Octopus costume. So I don't you're not a SpongeBob dude, but mm-hmm. if you guys have watched SpongeBob, there is a character called Larry the Lobster, and mm-hmm. he is like a big beefy lobster at the beach. And it looks like somebody's wearing a Larry the Lobster costume, but in black. Yeah, it fully looks like a like a Halloween costume. What is this supposed to be? Braun is drunk at this time, so it's kind of like a right. gauzy shot. And it's weird, and but it's also, it's like slightly creepy, but you're like, lobster tentacle, octopus, <laughs> monster, I don't know, devil? Well, I don't know what the fuck that yeah, is. Yeah, what is this? And then he runs again, and he sees a creepy man reaching out to him from a dark alley. I liked this part. I was like, this is cool. I Sure. I, I kind of like it. And then all of a sudden, here comes Sigmund Clifford Turturro. He comes racing by in his horse-drawn carriage, and he calls Braun's name and whisks Braun away to safety. So in this horse-drawn carriage, they go back to Braun's house in the country, the Gaga Puchapaza Stone Hands house back in the country. And as Braun is walking down a path through the woods to the house, Sigmund Clifford Turturro pulls out a gun and he shoots Braun in the back. Braun drops dead as Sigmund Clifford Turturro pulls out the ace card, which he rips to shreds. Honestly... I think if I had watched the whole film, I would have been like, oh, I see the twist coming, that it was going to be Sigmund Clifford Turturro who had pulled the ace and has to kill Braun. But I was so confused by this whole thing that I was just like, oh, I was surprised that it turned out to be him. So I was like, okay, cool. Surprising twist here at the end. So Braun is dead. We're in the middle, we should say. Exactly. We're in the middle (laughs) because, you listen, this is not the end, everybody. The camera pans down to one of the creepy stone hands. And then we are back at the old house from the top of the movie. The narrator continues telling his story to the painter. And he says, the house remained empty for quite some time. And then the estate was purchased by my sister, the narrator's sister, and her husband, who moved in with their three kids, and I also decided to move in too. Great. Cool. Cool. The narrator says the two youngest kids were happy and healthy, but the older kid, Charles, was an asshole. And then we (laughs) see Charles sitting alone as a child. He's sitting by one of those stone hands out in the garden. And the narrator tells us that Charles was put under the evil spell of the hand for the remainder of his life. And then we see Charles and his little sister, Beth, who is later played by Che Labon, who I talked about in the beginning, but as an adult a little bit later on. Charles and Beth and their dog are playing. But again, Charles is a fucking asshole. So he forces Beth onto a horse-drawn carriage and the carriage speeds off and the sister is seriously injured in an accident. The narration says now Charles could dominate her just the same as he did with his little brother, Jamie. And I was like, what the fuck with this scene? Because I didn't understand. I was like, is he trying to beat the dog? That's what I thought. Yeah, he's trying to beat the dog. And then the sister is like, she gets into the carriage. And then the horse is like, well, what the fuck? Runs off. No, he switches the horse. He smashes the horse. So it'll run. Yeah. Did you also see the dummy of the girl in the carriage? (laughs) Flipping and a flop in there? No, I didn't see. Oh the man, dummy. I was like, <laughs> it's just like some like ADR person be like, no, Charles, please, Charles, you mustn't, you mustn't. Oh wow. Okay, so Dude. the narrator continues. The kids grew up, 
But unfortunately, the parents were lost at sea in a boating accident. So I, the narrator, the uncle, I was the only person left with the kids. And now adults, Charles is an asshole, too. (laughs) (laughs) Just continuous asshole. Yes. So now they're adults and Charles is an asshole and he still a fucking asshole. And he happens to be the master of the house now. Hmm. So we cut to Charles. He's out gallivanting and dancing at parties. And on his way home from this party, a woman screams at him from a window. She says, beast, beast, you lowly human beast. What have you done to my sister? What? And I was like, who the fuck are you? Girl, who What's the going fuck on here? are you? I wrote this sister bit. Who was that lady? Who's her sister? Who? Uh- who? Look, I've got a general vague answer coming up. We will get to it in a moment. Mm. We'll see. We will. We shall see. Yeah. Cut to an inserted scene. Now, this was filmed by Jerry uh-huh. Warren for the scene and it is starring. So this movie is like starring John Carradine, which I, I think he was like a, an old school movie star from back in the day. Mm-hmm. And so here's John Carradine. Uh, <laughs> So he he and this other guy are like doing field work, I guess. <laughs> so they're they, like they work at the property yeah. of Charles, the older the shitty brother. Housemaster. Yeah. Yeah. So these two old guys are like, oh, it sucks working out here, working around here with Charles as the housemaster. What a dick. And we discover here basically the gist of this moment is that we discover that Jamie. Charles's younger brother is about to leave for college till Christmas. And when Jamie comes home from college, he intends to marry his fiance, Ruth. Yes. Cool. Great. Cool. Great. Let's I think we're good. Keep going. We then see Jamie running around the beach with Ruth, his fiance. The ADR is hilarious. He's like, dude, wait a minute. Ruth. Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> also, they're like frolicking on like ocean, like beach rocks, which yeah. I was like, okay, first of all, they're dressed in old timey clothing. Again, oh, fully I can't, I've never fully. been good about telling you what era things are, but sure. like if you can imagine a corset, but like the the skirts that the women wear are long, but not poofy they're like close Mm -hmm. to the body the kind where the butt is kind of big and there's like like draping the a bustle Uh and there's draping over the front i i can't and they're curly the hair is the hair particularly curly yes to the to the heavens yes Yes. there's little bangs they're curly bangs but then Mm -hmm. the back is also down but also Mm -hmm. curly i'm gonna say it's uh what is that term Gibson girl? It might be oh. Gibson girly. I I couldn't tell you. I trust Pero you, sure. Gibson girl. And mm-hmm. I was like, you would have eaten shit by now and broken Absolutely. every single one of your teeth. No, thank you. And also buttoned, buttoned, buttoned to, to just the, the chin all para the way up. In the heat of the beach. No, in the beach. (laughs) So they're running about. They're laughing. Of course, they have to kiss awkwardly. They're in love. And we see that Charles is watching them creepily. So Jamie leaves for college. And 
he stops in a village and goes to church and prays. And I was like, why do we need this? I'm, I wrote, what was the point of him going into that church? Because he stops and he looks at the organ player, which is a woman, and she's surrounded by small altar boys, basically. Yeah. And then he gets up and leaves and we're like, okay. Okay. I assume this had to do with the original film, but I this keeps coming back, and I was like, makes no sense an hour no in, sense. in what you wanted to tell us here. Absolutely unnecessary. And then we cut to Ruth, Jamie's fiance. Yeah, and we know now that Jamie is off at college till Christmas time, and Ruth is yeah. being picked up by Beth, I think, Charles's sister Beth. I literally wrote, Who the fuck are these people? And where is Ruth going? <laughs> There's a horse carriage full of people being like, Ruth, come along. Let's go. We're here to and take so, you. That, so Beth, I think it's Beth. And she's like, you're coming to live at our house now, Ruth, because you're Jamie's fiance. It's the Lady Gaga put your paws up stone house with the with the haunted okay. hands. Got and it. and Beth says, Charles suggested that you move in with us so you can thank Charles. So it seems to me that the Charles was like brother. the asshole brother. Jamie's brother was like, you know what? While Jamie's gone, why don't we just ask Ruth, Jamie's fiance, to move in to our house? Okay. Because in three months, they'll be getting hitched and yes. then she'll just be here already. Why not? Yes. Yeah. And then the narrator tells us anyone who came into Charles's world was touched by his dark power. And then we see Charles kiss Ruth, Jamie's fiance. Okay, te voy a, te voy a ser honesta. Uh-huh. You can't tell who the people are. I wrote, who's that lady he's kissing? Oh, well, Beth and Ruth, you know, like you said, the curls. I was like... Is that Beth? Is that Ruth? The names are very similar. Four letters. Very, you know, I was like. I also <laughs> was confused because in the beginning of this story, when Charles sends his sister off to get trampled by a horse or whatever, we sure. get a very quick shot of her in like a wheelchair yeah. or has like a fucking blanket over her legs. Entonces yo pensé that she was like now wheelchair bound for the rest so of the So did I. Thing. Pero y cuando enseñan a la hermana, de la hermana es Beth, the sister yes. is Beth. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when they show Beth like healed and standing, I was like, who is that? <laughs> sure. Well, because I expected also that, you know, the idea was like she was injured as a child. We saw that shot that I completely skipped over of her in a wheelchair. And literally the narrator was like, now that she is kind of incapacitated, for lack of a better word, Charles yeah. can dominate her. So I thought for the rest of her life, she was going to be inca incapacitated. Pero no. I believe that like her health has been compromised, but she sure. can still like get up and walk around. But honestly, not explored in this version of no, this spliced up movie. Not. So it's very confusing. Very confusing. Yeah. Is everybody with us? Is everybody with us? Everybody I'm doing Charles, my best. the asshole brother. Kisses Ruth, the fiance of his yes. younger brother, Jamie, who yes. is in college right now. Yes. And the sister Beth is not in a wheelchair. She is a standing woman. Yes. And she's there. <laughs> and she is of poor health, it seems. Maybe. Sure. And so Charles kisses Ruth. And so it seems that Ruth has been wooed by Charles's wiles. Okay. Yeah. Cut to Christmas time. 
Jamie comes home from college. He finds Ruth and he's going up to say, hello, my goodness, my fiance, I love you. But in comes Charles who embraces Jamie. And then Charles just says, Ruth is my wife, Jamie. (laughs) And Jamie's all like, uh, Uh, what? what? (laughs) And Charles says, this ADR here, Charles says, my wife. (laughs) (laughs) What is that movie? What does that come from? My wife. Borat. Oh my God. It's, I watched this movie. My wife. I was like, this reminds me of something. Watch this movie and tell me that doesn't fucking sound like Borat. My wife. Damn. Oh my God. My wife. And then everybody embraces. Everybody embraces. Wow. Later on, Charles goes to check on Jamie because Jamie is upset. Duh. Mm-hmm. And Charles says to Jamie, this motherfucker right here says <laughs> to Jamie in this moment, I cannot. He says to him, women have been the cause of every problem known to man. She threw herself at me. I felt I should help her. She wasn't for you, Jamie. Fuck you. What a prick. <laughs> fuck you. And yeah, Jamie is you. all Jamie's like, I know. I'm sorry. And they embrace. And I just wrote here in all caps. Jamie, nope. you idiot. No. This made me so fucking mad. But I was like, is this what's happening right now? Because I'm confused. I'm not quite sure. I think it's you're right. <laughs> Cut to the two older worker men, John Carradine. This is an added scene here again. Bro. So they talk about carrying water and wells for what feels like two hours. I literally wrote, who cares about these two idiots? So this is just uh, exposition that Jerry Warren and the writers, uh, you know, not the original writers, but the writers of this 1965 splice and dice version were like, we should add this here to kind of push things along in the story. So John Carradine is like, His accent is so weird. He's like, speaking of the well, there's an entrance to the wine cellar near the well. Okay, correct me if I'm wrong. Sure. I'm pretty sure these two stories, this haunted house or this house that we are getting these two stories that have lived in it is Mm -hmm. meant to be in the UK. I believe so. So I think these two idiots that we're watching are supposed to be British workers, like from like the towns of Kent or whatever the fuck. Well, if that's the case. Oh, dude. Because not what, John the other Carradine guy is like, well, I sure do believe. And it's like, sir, <laughs> yes. you are from Kentucky. Tell me about the okay. whale. Come on. Tell me all about it. Like, what? Where are we? What's Where happening? Are we? Where are okay, we? so John Carradine is like, speaking of the well, there's an entrance <laughs> to the wine cellar near the well that has been boarded up for five years. But, oh my God, but it, okay. So there's a fucking entrance near the wine cellar, near the well, that's been boarded up for five years. Well, but thank you, you for translating get... <laughs> your accent. <laughs> I, just, I can't keep doing that thing. So he says, but you can get into the wine cellar from the house but we aren't allowed in there. However, I have been down there several times. In the wine cellar, there is a locked room. I've been inside of it, but I haven't had enough time to find out much about it or something like that. Okay, so now adding in an entirely different plot device thing here. In the wine cellar, there's a secret room that only Charles goes into. 
Cut to the wine cellar. Jamie asks Charles, what's behind that secret door? And Charles is like, nothing, nothing, nothing. It's nothing behind. There's nothing there. And then again, Jamie goes to church. And uh, uh, this is not necessary, but I was like, why? What's happening? So Jamie goes to church and he looks over where that organist was that you mentioned. And he sees a like. They appear out of thin air like ghosts. Yeah, this random like the choir boys or altar boys. What the fuck is this? Girl. I don't know, everybody. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) So he's at church seeing ghosts. Again, I just want to reiterate for the third time. Yeah. We never see anybody's mouth move. I'm going to (laughs) say... The total amount of actual lines spoken that aren't the narrator or James Carradine and that other fucking dude from Kentucky are, I'm going to say, 15 lines. Sure. Mostly narration. Yes. And even then, it's sprinkled throughout and it's a lot of quiet time. Like, it might as well be a silent movie. Totally. And on top of that, the music throughout the film is unstoppable. It's just like Never coming stops. through. And it's honestly too much. Musical yeah. stings coming in at random points where I'm like, they're just sitting there. What's happening? What? <laughs> yes. So many times I was like, he's just breathing. Why is there a lot? Dun, dun, dun. Exactly. <laughs> like, not necessary. <laughs> All right. So. It seems that Jamie and Ruth have been getting flirty, and even Charles Mm. is like, it seems Ruth has been acting strangely since Jamie returned. Because she's still in love with him, you dickhole. You fucking idiot. (laughs) Oh, isn't that strange? Why is Ruth acting strangely since her cute fiancé came back? What could it be? (laughs) Oh, Charles. So Ruth and Jamie go into the wine cellar, and Ruth... Wait, can I, <laughs> please, we just please <laughs> before they go into the uh-huh. wine cellar, she approaches Jamie on the couch. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and he's got like a book on his chest. He's just he, napping he's, on the couch. He's just hanging out. Yeah. And she approaches him and she goes, aha. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> laughed oh. so hard yeah. because you can tell it, she probably was saying something or like whatever the like the ADR on top of it they literally were like her mouth looks like she's saying aha yeah. so let's just have you be like do a funny aha in there to the lady in aha she was probably like aha aquí estás whatever or something yeah, yeah, yeah. oh my god y, y la persona aha <laughs> Oh my God, I laughed so fucking hard. Oh, man. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I hate it at the same time. Okay. Oh, totally. So they go into the wine cellar and Ruth finds this secret key, like secret spot for the for the secret room. Secret. It's here for everybody to find. It might as well say this is the key. Just a neon sign. (laughs) So she gets the key. They unlock the secret door. They go into the room, pero here comes the uncle. He comes down the stairs into the wine cellar. So they get startled. They close the door, they lock it, and off they go. Okay, solo te voy a decir que en esta mm-hmm. parte, I thought it was going to be Charles. I, it's so poorly 
edited that they open the door to the secret room. They go uh-huh. in and then you see like another door open, feet come out and a, a, like a cat runs out. And I was like, oh, that's in the room. That's in the secret room. That's what I thought, too. Thank you for saying that. It should have been Charles, honestly, to be like, hello, what are you guys fucking doing down there? Right. Or I was like, oh, what is it going to be in this room? It's going to be a murderer. Honestly, I thought it was going to be a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Uh, Hyde situation with Charles. Very confusing editing here, but it's just the uncle coming down and startling them. So off they go. They run off. Yeah. So Ruth and Jamie again are on this beach, all fucking bundled up in the heat. They're very (laughs) flirty. Jamie falls on top of Ruth and he tries to kiss her, but she pushes him off and he's like, hey, I love you. I love you. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) I love you. (laughs) I love you. And she's all, I know that. That's literally what she says to him. Listen, Star Wars. This is the original (laughs) Star Wars. I love you. I know that. I know. I know that. Okay. (laughs) So we cut to a dance where everybody is waltzing in circles. They love to waltz in this movie. And it's just the longest shot of this dancing. Oh, my God. It's so long. And then um, at this party, Jamie and Ruth decide to go. They decide to leave the party and they go for a romantic night walk together. And this time they kiss. And honestly, I was like. I'm rooting for these two. Fuck Charles. Well, he yeah, sucks. Fuck Charles. Yeah, Charles this dude a sucks. Dick. No, 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 no. So they kiss. Ruth is crying and she's like, I don't know why I married Charles. Well, I was like, girl, he's got these weird powers, you know, forgive yourself. <laughs> yeah. it's, don't, it, it doesn't it's matter. Weird. Don't, don't feel so bad about it. Again, we cut to an added scene. Here's John Carradine. Uh, and he's having a drink with the woman who screamed, Beast! Beast, you uh, lowly beast from the window at the top of this segment where we're like, who the fuck is that woman? We discover that she's this fabulous kind of like beehive styled woman. Sex worker? Was this a brothel where they were couldn't. I couldn't tell. Maybe. I think it's a brothel. Interesting. Or like a place of ill repute, if you will. Porque, porque habían otras muchachas que estaban smooching. ahí smooching yes. with dudes and stuff. And she looked pretty like voluptuous and yes. saucy and la flor en el pelo. I was like, I feel like this is a brothely vibe. I totally, yeah, I agree with you. I didn't think that at the time, but I think that's right. I called mm-hmm. her Beehive because she had this cool, like, Great. Beehive-ish hairdo. So, here we are with John Carradine and Beehive. They're having a drink, <laughs> and as they cheers over beer, John Carradine says, to your health, Beehive, and to your sister Connie's <laughs> health. Girl, okay. when, <laughs> when Connie got brought into this, I was like, who the fuck is Connie? I'm not sure I can explain. I can tell you. I'm going to go ahead and say we never see fucking Connie. dude. Oh, no, we don't. We don't see Connie in this movie. We do not. And also Connie. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I guess that's more like a, you know, this this spliced version came out in 65. So I was like, cool, Connie for 65. But in this movie that's supposed to be back in the 40s, I was like the name Connie? Connie. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I have no clue, but it felt weird. Yeah, so, totally. okay, let's do our best with this fucking Connie thing. So John Carradine's like, to your health, Beehive, and Connie's health, your, your poor sister. And Beehive says, <laughs> she says, <laughs> Connie, <laughs> Connie's health has been improving since Charles has stayed away. So 
It seems that asshole Charles, master of the Lady Gaga Paws Up house, was involved with Beehive's sister, Connie, who might also be a sex worker. And there was some sort of Connie was under Charles's wiles and powers, and it made her sick. This is what I think. Right. This is my hypothesis. Yeah. When they're leaving that party and Beehive is like, beast, beast, how dare you beast? Yeah. I think that maybe Charles raped Connie. Oh, okay. Because... Usually back in the day when somebody is calling somebody a beast is because they've done something particularly sure. horrible. Yeah. Uh, and because they're leaving this party where they were waltzing and women and stuff mm. like that, I was like, this seems like maybe there was some sort of sexual assault situation. And I don't think um, it was just one time because no. Connie's or sorry, not Connie, Beehive says since he stopped coming around, she's been better. Another clue of that maybe this is a brothel. Yes. And every time that he came around, it was like, I mean some either something bad or maybe she wasn't meant to be in the brothel life and and he or it was like Violent, uh, some sort of continuous sexual assault going on. Yeah. I think. So Beehive is like, Connie's getting better because Charles has stayed away. But then John Carradine is like, well, Charles may, may not be through with Connie, especially because, look, his marriage to Ruth is doomed because Ruth doesn't seem to be under Charles's spell like others have been, like Connie. And also, I'm pretty sure when Jamie and Ruth kiss again, that John Carradine's character has seen them canoodling and doing the thing. So he's like, "Ooh, girl, I got the tea for you. Which is hilarious. He's so funny. He's like, Jamie came back from college and let me tell you something. Ruth is all up on that dick. Okay? He is. He is like. Chisme central Chimoso, right now. Si, I love the scene where Ruth, I didn't include it because I was like, whatever, let's fucking get through it. But when Ruth and Jamie kiss, like finally, you know, they've reunited, they like add in like a 0.5 second moment of John Carradine in like a completely different shot, <laughs> film, lighting, de todo, like peeking, like taking a peek and being like, oh, I see you oh. over there. Look at you smooching over there. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. So John Carradine is like, I saw them smooching. That marriage is doomed. Mm. Things are like things are not going to go well for Charles. But that's bad news for Connie, because that means that if Ruth is out of the picture, he's coming back for Connie. And just then here comes Charles on horseback to see Connie. And Beehive is like, no, no. No, you can't. You never listen to me, Connie. Please don't let him in, Connie. Connie. At the door, again, why we never see Connie. Because she doesn't even go inside. She's like outside the door like, Connie, please. You cannot let him in, Connie. This is an entirely new idea plot thing that, that Jerry Warren was like, we're throwing this in here. So yeah. then... We get a shot of Beehive, like, I think kind of like trying to barricade or block Charles from getting into Connie's room. And we have like a stand in Charles. <laughs> yeah. So we just see his shoulder, but we get a full his, shot like, of Beehive. Hat. Yeah. And it's supposed to be him. And 
Beehive is like, please don't go in there. Leave. Don't come back. I know about your wife, Ruth, and I know that your wife is about to leave you because she is in love with your brother, Jamie. But then Beehive's face turns like like she gets really, really scared all of a sudden. And she goes, what's the matter with you? And this is why I thought it was like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde situation, because I was like, oh, is he transforming in front of her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, everybody, I don't think that's what it is. Maybe. I was like. Maybe it is. You know, I think the end of the movie might give something to us. We're almost there. I also want to (laughs) say at this moment when she is yelling like, oh, you piece of shit, whatever. That's when I was like, oh, she's the woman from the top (laughs) yelling beast. Beast, beast, uh, you lowly beast. Yes. Wow. Honestly, feeling her performance. Yeah, she was pretty solid. I love your drama. Meanwhile, again, Jamie goes to church. Why? Why? I don't know. It's nighttime. Beth is there too, praying. This village loves to pray. And then Jamie leaves and Beth follows. However, outside the church, a hooded woman comes up to Beth and says, please, I have something to tell you. Something important. This is not necessary in this version because maybe in the full movie it was, but here I was like, what the fuck does this have to do with anything? I didn't understand it. Oh my God. So Beth being told something by this hooded woman, I assume like your sister Ruth is in danger. Charles is going crazy, something like that. So Beth rushes back home and she finds the uncle narrator. And so she's like, where is Charles? Where's Ruth? Charles is going to kill Ruth. And the uncle narrator says, what? <laughs> so stupidly. Oh, my God. What? And then Charles comes bursting into the house and he grabs a gun and he goes looking for Jamie and Ruth. And he finds them really poorly, hi- quote unquote, trying to hide in a cave. It Just not hiding whatsoever. It's the cave totally. with the arches that we saw at yeah, the top yeah, of yeah. the movie with one of the stone hands in it. And just as he's about to shoot Ruth, Jamie stands in the way and he is shot by Charles. And then Jamie dies in Charles's arms as Ruth cries. Back at the old decrepit house from the top of the movie with the narrator and the painter. Beth, like Sister Beth, I'm pretty sure this is Beth. She comes down like the stairs or into this house and she's like, Uncle Huey, what are you doing here? That's who that was? Wow. So I was like, so you're telling me this woman lives in this old ass decrepit house? It's in shambles. Shambles. But I think that's what they're telling us. She lives here still. Okay. Okay. And then Uncle Huey and fucking Beth go somewhere. And then the painter, meanwhile, goes down into the old wine cellar. And he opens the secret room where he finds a book called The Self-Portrait. And then he sees a painting of Charles on the wall. And then next to it is a spookier painting of Charles. And then an even spookier painting of Charles, more like skeletal and creepy looking. Yeah, like the almost like the skin is coming off of it. Yeah. And then there's a skeleton sitting in front of this creepy painting. Fin de la película. This is what I think it was. So when Beehive... I'm honestly just putting this together now. Maybe it is a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing. Because when Beehive is like, 
well, what's the matter with you? And she's clearly seeing something horrible. I think what's happening here, like the self-portrait. So it's like, in his secret room, Charles has taught himself to to paint and he's been painting his self-portrait, but he is able to, he has like different versions of himself. So I think maybe he was transforming into this creepy, like face peeled, horrible version of himself. Yes, Girl, I don't fucking know. But there's a, who's that skeleton? Who's the skeleton? I literally wrote, I have no idea what just happened. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm assuming that that skeleton was Charles. Sure. He probably locked himself in that cellar at the end once he killed his brother and was like, aquí me quedo y me muero aquí. That's Al lado it. de mis self-portraits. Yeah, of me transforming into a monster. I don't fucking know. But that's the end of our movie. Girl, you did it. Congrats. (laughs) Let's get into some trivia. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I found a really great and thorough article on braineater.com. And it's about the curse of the stone hand. And I found the parts that I think explain the most. He literally like describes... Both movies that were taken like in total detail, which I'm not going to get into, but I'll give you enough for you to like basically understand. Jerry Warren honestly didn't care. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He said so himself. The only reason he was involved with the motion picture industry was to make a fast buck. What's more, he never extended himself any further than he needed to make that fast buck, even if a little minimal effort could have returned him a buck 50. He was far more interested in producing than directing and made a bigger name for himself re-editing and releasing other people's movies than for making any of his own. Warren started his company, American Distributors Productions, in the late 1950s with his own ultra-low budget movies, but he soon discovered that he could get a much better return on his investment for a lot less effort by buying the rights to foreign movies and releasing them as his own productions. There are certain bad movie reference books that claim Curse of the Stone Hand was pieced together from two Mexican movies. This is incorrect. It's easy to see why so many people have assumed this over the years since Warren did use many Mexican films in his fiendish experiments. Churubusco Azteca Studios had an office in Los Angeles where Warren lived and worked in Los Angeles, not in the Mm -hmm. studios. Mm -hmm. And Warren claimed to know the president of the company. So Mexican monster films were an obvious target for Warren to pillage. With the coming of the Internet, it's become possible to identify and even track down the real sources of Curse of the Stone Hand. And it turns out that they are both Chilean films made by Argentine directors and crew. The earliest of the two films that Warren butchered is La Casa Está Vacía, a a 1945 film directed by Carlos Schlieper. Schlieper? What did you, how did you say it? Schlieper. I just said Schlieper. Schlieper. (laughs) Schlieper is known as one of the finest directors of comedy in Latin American film history. 
His films were notable not only for their fast, frenetic pace, but also for their strong, independent, and sexually liberated heroines. Mm. As a modern critic puts it, his first film suggests that the director was a specialist in films for women, but Schlieper was much more than that. His outlook on women was revolutionary and unique in Argentine cinema. So I googled La Casa Está Vacía to see... Uh, just I wanted a smaller synopsis than what this because this article literally breaks the movie down wow. bit by bit. So if you're interested to see what La Casa Está Vacía and uh, La Dama de la Muerte are bit by bit, this article has it. So CineChile.cl, which is the CineChile Enciclopedia del Cine Chileno, the website describes La Casa Está Vacía as based on Herman Suderman's short story, The Silent Mill, after an accident caused by Carlos, Charles, mm -hmm. his sister dies. Oh, wow. Jorge, his younger brother, Jamie, helps him cope with the pain and they promise never to marry as to consecrate their lives to an unbreakable fraternal bond. Upon enlisting in the Navy, Jorge realizes that he loves the daughter of an old friend of his father's. The brothers will be divided and Carlos will fall into a deep depression from which Ruth, a young woman much younger than him, will pull him out of said depression. When Jorge returns, he meets Ruth and falls in love with her without knowing that she is his brother's wife. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. The second film that Warren used for Curse of the Stone Hand is La Dama de la Muerte, which is a 1946 film loosely based on a story by Robert Louis Stevenson and directed by Carlos Hugo Christensen. Unlike Schlieper, Christensen had a phenomenally long career and directed movies of many different genres. But like Schlieper, he was interested in exploring the dynamics of sex in ways that were daring and controversial for their time. His attitude to sex attracted him a lot of attention, but in fact, all aspects of human behavior were interesting to him. So some of his output or movies that he made include the very first nude scene in Argentine cinema and a movie about gay Brazilian cowboys made decades before Brokeback Mountain. What which I the thought was fuck? Cool. Oh my yeah. God. Got to check that out. Wow. Yes. I found a description for La Dama de la Muerte on IMDb and I checked with, um, Cine Chile, La Enciclopedia de Chile, the Cine mm -hmm. Chileno, and it's basically their description translated. Mm -hmm. And it's um, a 24-year-old young man who loses all of his money at the roulette table and decides to commit suicide when he is interrupted by a mysterious man who invites him to join a suicide club. There, through the cards, it is drawn who is going to die. The hero engages in the game and is signaled by the cards. He has only seven days to live in which he tries in vain to file a police report in his eagerness to disengage from the engagement. Okay. <laughs> in his wandering the streets of London, he meets a woman who insists on accompanying him, which what? When? Nope. We nope. never nope. see it. Mm -mm. His interest in living now has a new motivation. So, wow. okay. 
Back to the director, Christensen. Um, his opposition to the Peron government forced him into exile in Brazil, where he spent the rest of his life. One of his first Brazilian films, Mons Sangrentas, Bloody oh. Hands, from 1955, was chosen as Brazil's official entry in the Venice International Film Festival. After winning critical acclaim, the movie somehow wound up in Jerry Warren's hands for its North American distribution. Warren retitled it The Violent and the Damned. And it's funny how one of South America's most famous directors, though almost completely unknown in the U.S., was victimized twice by Jerry Warren. Wow. So did Jerry Warren, it seems that he also sliced and diced that movie as well? Most likely, yes. Okay. Wow. Neither of these two movies, either La Dama de la Muerte or La Casa Está Vacía, neither of them can be considered horror films. Like there are literally, they're both either like maybe a ghost story. Suspense. Maybe. Yes. Like thrillery, but sure. they're not horror films sure. in the least. Also, neither La Casa Está Vacía nor La Dama de la Muerte are particularly well known today, even in Argentina or Chile. Neither film is particularly characteristic of its director, nor is either among its director's very finest work. Mm. But they're both very well-made films, which use a great deal of technical skill to tell subtle, engrossing, tragic stories. And Warren's version may be the least embarrassing of his cut-and-paste quasi-horrors, but it certainly ruined its source material. It turned the two gothic melodramas into intolerably banal soap operas with minimal attempts at quote-unquote horror that wouldn't scare a first-time trick-or-treater. <laughs> I mean, true, <laughs> true. Yeah. So I just thought, like, this, it, this guy really nailed it when it came to, like, what these two movies were and, like, how Jerry Warren just... He was in it for the money. He couldn't have given a hot fuck about wow. any of these films, the integrity of the films or any of it. So. Dude. And that's my trivia for today. I mean, that is upsetting, but fascinating. And we've heard of like these American production companies and like these men, like the dude that brought um, uh, Santa Claus and then oh, yeah, yeah, Santo, yeah. like Samson. all these... Yeah, all these men, all these horrible American men that are like, I know these. we can just grab these movies cheap and mm -hmm. fast and then release them and make money here. Like nary a cent to the people who acted in these movies originally produced, Nothing. directed. Nada, nada. Not even yeah. in the credits yeah. for the most part. Let's change their names in the credits, yeah, if anything. We'll change their names. Damn. Yeah. Well, Love that trivia. Fascinating. Thank you for including that. Of course. Here is my trivia for today. Let's talk about Carlos Cores. He played Braun in the first segment of this film. He was Argentino. He was born April 19th of 1923. So that means that he is... An Aries? Aries. Aries, Taurus, cusp-ish. Yeah, like he is right, right on the there. line. Yeah. And unfortunately, he died February 8th of 2000. I mean, if he didn't, wow. he'd be, you know, 99 years old. Um, and this is from Clarin.com, an article from 
2000. So this was right after he died. And it says here that he was an important figure in what is considered the golden age of Argentine cinema. His career included directing, theater, television, and radio, and it spread to Mexico, Spain, and Chile. So he was in The Naked Angel, El Ángel Desnudo, directed Mm by Carlos Hugo Christensen in 1946. We've talked about this before, I believe, in the El Inquisidor Uh episode, because Olga Subarri Mm -hmm. played... His girlfriend. I remember us talking about how she was the first lady to, to be nude. Oh. And, she, and remember, she was like, I wasn't fully nude. I was I had a gauze on me or something like that. Remember? <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So Carlos oh, wow. Cores was uh-huh. in that movie, which also happened to be directed by Carlos Hugo Christensen. Holy shit. Cool. So it's all intertwined, which is very, very interesting. And it says, from then on, Carlos's career became more erratic, although this is attributable, perhaps, to the decline of the Argentine film industry back in the day. Mm -hmm. So that's just a little bit about Carlos Cores. Let's talk about Chelabon. And I actually also found that uh, website CineChile.cl. So she was born July 2nd of 1926. Cancer, cancer, and she died, unfortunately, January 23rd of 2010 in Los Angeles. Oh. So it says here, Chelabon was born into a middle-class home with seven siblings. She showed an interest in film from a very early age. She enrolled very young in the Actoral Training Academy, directed by Pedro de la Barra. And shortly after, in 1944, she began her film career with a fleeting appearance in Moglia Barth's film, Romance de mi de medio siglo. Chela appears in a scene that is unprecedented in Chilean cinema. She <gasps> appears bathing naked in a lake. Everybody's nude. Everybody's naked. I don't know which movie that was. It just says here that she was like, oh, <gasps> look at her. I am nude. Bathing nude in a lake in an old <laughs> Chilean film. She at one point traveled to the United States and studied at the Pasadena Art Studio, which sparked her interest in theater. Back in Chile, she enrolled in the Experimental Theater of the Universidad de Chile, where she took acting courses. She did theater. She acted in local TV. She was in some soap operas, and she got married for a third time. (laughs) Nice. And because of that marriage, she moved to the United States, and she did some interesting social work, it says, in the... Latin community of Los Angeles. Okay. In California. We love to see. She collaborated on productions with Roger Corman. Interesting. And she also became a producer. Very, very cool. I found a 30-minute documentary, I believe, produced by Chelabon. And at toward the end of her life, first of all, you got to see this little document. I didn't watch the whole thing, but it's mm-hmm. on YouTube. Just look up Cine Chile on YouTube and you can find an, an interview with her. But it's like, it's a documentary that she produced about her life in cinema, like back in the uh-huh. day. And it's her as an old lady. And she is so cute. I love like, that. Like in the movie, she plays Beth in right. a the the second, you know, anthology story, whatever. And she's yeah. such a little cute gorgeous lady and like as an old lady you're like oh my god gorgeous you're so cute okay 
I just want to add something very, very quickly about Jerry Warren that I found sure. on Wikipedia. Just very, very quickly. It says here at the end of like his little like bio in Wikipedia, Warren even wrote some screenplays for his films under the nom de plume Jacques Lecoutier, which he sometimes misspelled in the credits. <laughs> What a fucking idiot. Oy, yikes, 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 yikes. <laughs> oh, okay. Boy. This is my last little thing of trivia, which I found really cool. Let's talk about Catherine Victor. This woman played a beast, beast. Beehive. Beehive. Beast, beast, beehive in the second story. So this is from IMDb. Born Katena Ktenavia. On August 18th, 1923. So she is a Leo. She was also known as Katina Vey, which I just think is a fucking fabulous name. Great name. So she was born in the Hell's Kitchen neighborhood of, in Manhattan. And uh, she started her career. She actually grew up in Los Angeles and began her acting career on stage and then radio in the late 40s. She made her film debut in the campy sci-fi adventure Mesa of Lost Women in 1953, which sounds like a hoot. Five years later, she starred as the imperious Dr. Myra in director Jerry Warren's Teenage Zombies, 1959. <laughs> Teenage Zombies. Yeah, and that led to a series of roles in Warren's impoverished productions, it says here. Wow. Always busy outside of acting, in modeling, real estate, and in various jobs in the animated cartoon business, Victor oh. felt that the stigma, the stigma of being a regular in Warren's movies stymied her mainstream acting <gasps> career. So at one point she was like, wow. had I not acted in fucking Jerry Warren's movies, maybe I could have done a little bit better for myself. However, let's talk about, I was like, animated cartoon business. What are we talking about here? So yeah. let's talk about this. My so favorite. she has got a lengthy, lengthy, lengthy bio on IMDb as a continuity coordinator on oh, a lovely. lot of cartoons, such as <gasps> Buzz Lightyear of Star Command, Hercules, the TV series, Timon and Pumbaa, the TV series. <gasps> 101 Dalmatians, the TV series. Let's see here. Mighty so all- Ducks, the animated series, uh-huh. which was a TV series shorts. And all of this, she's co- uh, continuity con- coordinator, continuity coordinator, all of these things. Gargoyles. Do you remember Gargoyles? Hell yeah, I remember fucking Gargoyles, dude. Gargoyle, gar- <laughs> Gargoyles <laughs> TV series. Aladdin, the TV series. So this is like... For Disney TV, I think. The Little I Mermaid remember, TV series. I remember when all these cartoons came out and like I didn't watch any of them because I was like, the movie's enough. I don't yeah. need any more. Yeah, exactly. These are like all on honestly our epoca, like nineties Disney See. stuff, but we weren't really living in the States, so I didn't yeah. I didn't really watch this and, shit. And you probably need a Disney channel to watch. Exactly. I didn't have fucking have that. Uh yeah. Darkwing Duck, the TV oh, series. I love Darkwing Duck. Tailspin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, dude. Like, wow, crazy. And it says here that she was a designer for Schoolhouse Rock. How crazy is that? She was a designer. Just a something, a bill, right? That's Schoolhouse Rock, right? Schoolhouse Rock is like, uh, isn't that like 
conjunction junction what's your what's function? your function that shit yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah, so yeah. she did that stuff in the 70s and then her last Dope. uh her last schoolhouse rock was in 1995 an episode called making 70 750 once a week which sounds terrible uh, Whoa. <laughs> so i think she's kind of a badass wow and i thought she was very very cool in this movie so good for you katina vey way think to go you're girl cool and uh, that's my trivia for today. Great. How about some questions, huh? Let's do it. Jonathan, these are going to be easy questions oh, because yeah. we have so many other questions and those will never be answered. <laughs> uh, uh, but now let's see the answers to these. Johnny, were you scared? No. Were you? No. What was your best scare? The street scene in the first segment where Braun is walking around he sees the skeleton lady he sees the lobster he sees the creepy guy <laughs> that's the scare what about for right. you for me it was uh, the creepiest that I felt was when we got in the beginning the random shots of all the hands throughout the property mm. of this house mm-hmm. I was like I don't like that I don't like like oh I'm walking through this lovely grounds and then just a hand coming out no yeah. no 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 yeah, no totally. me gusta. Um, who was your favorite character I've got two I'm gonna give mm. it to I got to find one in first segment and second segment. So I'll give it to the man reading the book, just being like, I can't be bothered by your queen of hearts. <laughs> Loved him. And also yeah. I'll give it to Beehive. It's got to be Beehive. How about you? I don't know if I had a favorite character. I think I I'm going to give it, <laughs> I think I'm going to give it to Ruth just because I really liked her gold outfit in that party. Great. Um, Love that. So Ruth, Ruth. Uh, <laughs> what was your best line? Beast. Beast, you lowly human beast. What have you done to my sister? What? Beehive, segment two. That's it. What about you? Lovely. Aha. Yes. So good. Um, what was your best death? Oh fuck. Um, does anybody die? Yeah, two does- people die. Oh, duh. Uh sure, yeah. I'll give it to Braun at the end of the first segment because I was surprised by the twist. So sure, I'll give it to Braun. What about you? I misspoke. Three people die. I'm going to give it to that creepy dude, the first guy that pulled out the Queen of Hearts um, uh, card because it was like... Is he? He didn't drink the drink. Was the drink poisoned? We never see who killed him. We just see a flop of a hand. And I was like, yep. I would have liked to know more about that guy. Dead. Um, so that's mine. Uh, did you learn anything from this film? No, not at all. No, I mean, I not learned about you know all. Jerry Warren's slicing and dicing, but but you about, don't like, learn the that culture. From, no. No. No, 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 not at all. I did not. And finally, how many ooey's do you give this film? I'll give this one ooey. And all of, the, I, I will say that that ooey should carry weight for the the actual people who worked hard on the original productions. But right. the reason I give it, like, all, like imagine that a big golden shining ooey. But the reason <laughs> I only give it one is because, like, what we're watching here is actually Jerry Warren's product of just, like, butchering these films to to make a profit. So that's why I give this a one. How about you? Yes. Uh, I also gave it a one. Um, I'd like very quickly to say uh, 
that uh, the film critic Leonard Maltin awarded this film a bomb, his lowest rating, calling it incoherent. And that's exactly what it is. It makes no fucking sense. Um, So I'm giving it a one, uh, which with much respect to both original films, but this guy fucked those films over. It is not good. You cannot understand Good luck to you if you choose to watch it, but like, oof, yeah. So one for me. Don't do this, people. Don't do this. <laughs> Don't do this. God, uh, if you're going to be making movies, find a different way. Yeah, man. Yeah. Don't do it for the money. Do it for the art, man. <laughs> uh, well, we did it for the art today. Yes. Yes, we did. But let's get out of this creepy fucking house. Uh, all mm. these hands everywhere. Like, I don't, I like don't it. need to look at them. Nope. Thank you so much for being here with us. We appreciate you listening to our ramblings, whether incoherent or not. Uh, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen in cualquier plataforma. Make sure and follow our redes sociales at Wikiorror on Instagram and Twitter. Send us an email with suggestions, love letters, whatever you'd like. We love emails at Wikiorror at gmail.com. Thank you to Sonoro for being the cursed hand that we place around our property. Uh, <laughs> you can follow them at Sonoro Podcast on Instagram and Twitter as well. And uh, Johnny, you are the only one I will allow to splice and dice my life story. So make sure and do a good job or else I'll come back as a hand to haunt you. I will be your continuity coordinator (laughs) for the rest of my days. (laughs) I fucking love you, dude. I fucking love you too. And we'll see you guys in la próxima semana. Adios. Adios. Uy, qué horror es una producción de Sonoro. Produced by Jonathan Atkinson and Eileen Clark. Edición y mezcla, Karina Riverol. Escuche Uy, qué horror en cualquier plataforma donde escuchen podcasts. Subscribe, rate, and review. Adiós. Adiós. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.